0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Cross Section. In this episode, we're focusing on the Freedom of Religion or Belief Ministerial Conference that took place on the 5th and 6th of July in Westminster and beyond, where approximately 800 faith leaders, government ministers, and non-governmental organizations from around 60 countries gathered together to discuss and agree action to tackle religious persecution and discrimination across the world. But I feel like I have to start by saying what a week to have been in Westminster. Over 50 ministers so far have resigned and it was announced around 9.30 this morning on the 7th of July that Boris Johnson will be resigning as Prime Minister. He has resigned. This is a significant moment for the country and we will do our very best to help you navigate the news and think about the difference being a Christian makes in times like these today i'm joined by danny webster alicia edmund and peter linus so we've all been involved and attended different events this week on freedom of religion or belief but first let's talk about the national national parliamentary breakfast led by the all-party parliamentary group gosh that's a bit of a tongue twister christians in parliament Um, many ea members contributed to the day and colleagues from the advocacy team were present. So starting with you, Peter, tell us what happened at the breakfast? What was the atmosphere like?
1: Well, it was great to be there again. First time in person post pandemic. It was my first time actually at the Westminster one, though I've been at various other ones. It's in the Westminster uh, Hall, uh, which we were told is the largest vaulted ceiling in Europe, unsupported vaulted ceiling in Europe. It's a beautiful place to be in. There were nearly 700 people gathered. uh, Lots of MPs invite church leaders from their constituency. Lots of ministers there. Lots of people. Uh, I think Alicia was at a table with Sajid Javid uh, and Gavin managed to bump into Boris Johnson at it. He kind of accidentally elbowed him as the Prime Minister was coming in through. So wonderful to be there. Uh, such a great gathering. Actually, I came away really encouraged, by it. lots more to say about what happened about that and the week that went on. But the big takeaway for me was Les Isaacs, who founded Street Pastors, sharing about humility, about the work that they did, uh, about the importance of Christians in the public square. A wonderful celebration, really, of Christians in public life
2: and it's it's already being tagged as is it the sermon that brought down the government um and well, I think Sajid Javid, as he as he got up to speak in Parliament after his resignation this week, quoted or uh, referenced uh, Les Isaac, who spoke about serving the common good and working um, beyond your own party uh, for the unity. He didn't quite get the quote right, but working for everyone in the country, uh, the importance of service and using your influence for good. So, um, w- whether it, it will ever whether we can, um, I don't know, quantify whether or not it is the sermon that brought down the government. I'm not sure we can do that, um, but it's certainly got a lot of people tuning into it and listening.
1: Alyssa, you were also uh, there. Uh, I joined you at your table temporarily. Any reflections from you on being at the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast 2022?
3: Yeah, I for me, it was my first one as well. I think my takeaway was actually Tim Farron's prayer. I felt he was incredibly bold, um, very direct, very gospel orientated. He said at one point in his prayer that the greatest need that people um, have or should have in this country is to know forgiveness and the redemption that comes through Jesus, which I thought was an incredible moment. Um, yes, it is a prayer breakfast. Yes, it's Christian focused, but he definitely took the opportunity to lift the name of Jesus in that moment and to recognize salvation in him so that for me was one of uh, a huge takeaway points for me and actually seeing MPs worship was also a a different environment for me I'm used to sitting opposite them on a table talking about policy and engaging in kind of what's going on in life but seeing them worship and uh, sing and raise their hands in worship was quite a moment for me.
1: There's yeah, been I think a lot of a... what we can do, Joe, can feel a bit combative. And this was definitely the celebration piece. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. And lots of our members involved, lots of people, Andy Flanagan, leading in worship. It was just, it really shifted the atmosphere and it felt like something did shift. And I've tweeted and said this, look, could you ever say whether this uh, had an impact on the nation? I actually think we sometimes underestimate the power of prayer. And I do think something shifted this week and I'm going to hold to that
0: um yeah definitely I was going to say the same thing I think you would underplay it but um but that's the whole reason why we have prayer breakfasts, right because we believe that they that prayer is powerful um I actually wanted to ask why is it that um that this parliamentary prayer breakfast got to be a Christian hosted thing like how did how did Christians get that gig is it just because Christians in government stuck their hand up first Danny,
2: i i don't know the i don't know the exact origins. I know that it has been around for some time. Now, the the UK Parliament has significant Christian heritage within it. Um, we have a Speaker's Chaplain who leads prayers at the start of every parliamentary session. Uh, we have bishops in the House of Lords um, that also lead. Uh, you walk into the central lobby of Parliament and on the mosaic in the in the round is unless the Lord builds his house, his builders labour in vain. So the the underpinnings, the roots of our democracy owe so much to Christianity. So I can't, I don't know exactly where it came from, but the Christian influence and the Christian heritage of our political system is really significant. Uh, And it is great to be able to be in that place and to worship and to celebrate and to pray and to, uh, and to remind us of, of that heritage and of where so many of our democratic freedoms and values come from
0: yes well as peter said it was hosted in a beautiful building i along with lots of other of our colleagues on the advocacy team got to go into westminster this week and while the rest of them were playing it very cool i was there taking um photos of every pretty painting and statue um it really was quite the week to be there um so swiftly following on from the parliamentary breakfast was the freedom of religion or belief conference at the queen elizabeth center Over 800 delegates attending, representing 100 countries in London, to discuss religious persecution. From Tuesday early evening, we received the news that Rishi Sunak, the now former Chancellor, and Sajid Javid, former Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, handed in their resignations following the most recent scandal of number 10 advisors. And the Prime Minister has misled the media about what they knew about former Deputy Chief Whip and MP Chris Pincher on allegations of sexual assault. We touched on some of that already, but those are the nuts and bolts just in case you managed to miss them over the last 48 hours. So Danny, starting with you, did the resignations of of those two cabinet ministers, did they have an impact on the conference?
2: Well, um, so Alicia and I were at a reception as part of the conference on Tuesday evening. We were in a rather wonderful government uh, building and garden. Uh, And at the very moment that the breaking news alerts were coming through, we were listening to uh, Lord Ahmed, who is uh, the Foreign Office Minister in charge of human rights, uh, speaking uh, to the assembled guests. And, And then comes the thing, it's like, Who else is going to resign by the time he's finished speaking? What else is going to happen next? So mostly it was at the level of intrigue. Uh, It got even more interesting the following day when uh, Kemi Badenoch, who is a junior minister uh, responsible for faith um, in the government, was due to be one of the closing speakers at the conference. She resigned around 90 minutes before her session was due to begin. And uh, Well, Lord Ahmed, the Human Rights Minister, had to pick up uh, the closing speech and ended up uh, doing that one as well. So it did have an impact. There was a lot of chat going on in the side. um, But I think one of my main reflections is is how important it is that the theatre of the political intrigue and of the movers and the shakers and now the jostling for who's going to get ahead and who's going to be nominated for leadership. Will Boris go immediately? Will he stay through to the summer? I I think the real risk is is that it overshadows the really significant and really important conversations that took place in London this week, where we were speaking about how freedom of belief for everyone everywhere should be protected, how it should be promoted, how we can work better together to see that happen. And even even before this week's political intrigue, the coverage of it had been minimal, to be generous. Um, So... I, I'm hoping that there are ways that we can continue to talk about it so that we can ensure that government action is taken and is held to and isn't lost in all this theatre.
0: Yeah, we, we've definitely been a bit disappointed by the coverage um, of the conference. And I guess, yeah, it's been one of the biggest weeks for British politics in a little while, I'm guessing. So, yes, there was definitely a bit of contending for headlines there. Um Alicia, we've kind of already touched on this, that um, the significance of the prayer breakfast, what happened with Sajid Javid, but I heard that you might be personally responsible for the tidal wave of resignations um, that followed. Care to explain a little bit on that one, the role you played?
3: Well, you're going to get me in trouble with those sound bites. People, please do listen on. I am not responsible nor informed part of the resignation letter nor had any input. I was sat on the same table uh, as uh, Sajid Javid uh, on um, Tuesday, along with other uh, influential. Um, people within the Conservative Party. Uh, I didn't speak to him directly other than, uh, nice to meet you, good morning, how are you? But I did, I did in the moment of reflection during the session, pray for every um, MP and Lord that was sat at the table. And uh, interestingly, some of uh, the words that I prayed in my heart featured in his speech about integrity uh, and wisdom. So The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, beautiful people, powerful and effective. So, um, yeah, I I wasn't involved in his resignation, but I do think that moment was significant. (laughs) In terms of the ministerial, um, I think something that surprised me is how much of an echo chamber Westminster could be. We were at a conference that's a stone throw away from Westminster Palace We have dignitaries from around the world, individuals from Joe Biden's administration, people from the United Nations, individuals from the global South, South Asia, Europe, significant leaders in this space. And the schedule was just running on. Yes, there were problems that the conference team had to adjust to in terms of finding new speakers as um, ministers uh, were resigning. Uh, but the conversation still still went on. And I think for me, one of the highlights, I attended the um, Inspiring Parliamentarians conversation that was chaired by uh, Jeremy Hunt MP uh, that had a panel from the, uh, kind of, Jim Shannon was present, Baroness Cox. We had a parliamentarian from South Africa, another from Denmark. Um, the Bishop of Truro, talking about the role of kind of parliamentarians to kind of wave the flag and to continue talking about um, religious freedom or, or belief. And I think for the UK, that is something that is even more important now, given that the headlines, whoever the successive leader is going to be, whoever wins the next general election should uh, have come within the next year, it's incredibly important that whatever political party there is, there is an interest and intrigue to continue the conversation around religious freedom or belief. And in particularly the outcome of the Truer Review and what the Foreign Office and Development Office can be doing to be promoting that in their diplomacy and their international relations.
0: Can you just give us a 10-second briefing on what the Truro
3: Review actually is? 10 seconds. It's a 200-page document that was written in 2019 (laughs) encouraging the then Foreign Office to consider what more it could be doing to protect protect persecuted Christians overseas.
0: Well, that doesn't inspire people to read it. I don't know what will. Um, So... Now that we've, we've kind of covered what, what the big picture of the conference was, I want to dive in a little bit into what each of you kind of experienced over those two days. Um, so as I mentioned, I got to go into Westminster for the first time. I got to go to some fringe events, but Danny and Alicia had VIP access to the conference. <laughs> um, Peter, like myself, had access to the fringe, but also civil society floors. And as a team, we we went to all sorts of different events at the ministerial. So I want to hear your highlights, your lowlights. Let's start with with Danny.
2: Well, it was was a fascinating event to be at with the hundreds of people from all over the world. And talking to people um, on Wednesday afternoon as the conference came to a close, the sentiment that many people shared was just how valuable it was to be able to meet together, to talk to others, to build relationships, to create the foundations for collaboration and for coalitions and for joint action, to have met someone who you can then have a conversation with, Um, for parliamentarians and civil society leaders to meet together, to connect together across country and across different sectors. So in some ways, the fact that it took place is a big uh, success story. And I have to kind of get past some of my impatience for action and recognise that these are really important events that demonstrating how we can work together is really important. Um, So actually, it was great that the government held it and it's really important that we continue to press the government for action. Uh, The Truro report, as Alicia said, took place in 2019. It has been reviewed and while they've made some progress, there are a lot of areas where there is significant progress still to be made. So we do want to see our government do more. So I think uh, there have been a a series of statements and papers put out from it about different things that different countries have committed to. And that will be important to hold countries to account for what they've committed to at the conference. But it's also important that we keep on talking about it, that we keep on uh, keeping people aware of where there are challenges, where people are persecuted for their beliefs, uh, whether that's Christians or people of other faiths, and that we're able to speak out and call that out and encourage our government to call out those injustices. So I'll come in from the uh, civil
1: society fringe. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, like you, Joe, I didn't have have the full VIP pass. But I think the takeaways for me, the kind of positives were, it's great to see the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, the humanists, the head of the humanists, the chief rabbi, all addressing coming together on certain issues. I think the chief rabbi's speech was the most kind of punchy and did really well in pointing out where uh, some of the shortcomings are. And as Danny said, it was great to see the government taking this seriously, taking a lead on this. Um, The downside was the kind of lack of coverage and the inevitable distraction. Fiona Bruce, MP, who's the lead on this tried to raise a speech at Prime Minister's questions. Uh, in normal circumstances, that probably would have got a great reply and a good bit of coverage. In this case, it was completely lost in the other stories. Um, and so that is a frustration. Um, the Bristol of Truro's report that we've just mentioned is the other big takeaway. They have uh, dropped an update of that during the conference, said, hey, we've done some stuff, there's some areas we haven't done so well, and there's some areas we're kind of a little bit in between. Um, it was great to see members like Open Opendoor, uh, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, Release and others who are the big players in this field who really raise the kind of voice of the persecuted church speaking on that. Open Door's watch list in particular. And I think for me, the big push then is what are we going to do with the Bristol of Truth report? That was a great opportunity. He's done a great job. He's done what was needed. How are the government going to take that forward? Alicia did her best. I believe she did try and crash the heads of government meeting where they talk about what to do next. <laughs> and was ultimately turned away at the door and but it's those takeaways that are going to become key now and we'll work with members around that and alicia might have more to say on that bit
3: thank you well to be fair the signage wasn't clear i i thought it was a speaking conversation about what governments are doing next not that i needed to be a foreign minister or a (laughs) diplomat to to enter that space um I think one of the takeaways for me that I wasn't expecting to be significant was the opportunity to connect with the World Evangelical Alliance um, colleagues that came to country. So speaking with uh, Janet, who's a global director and understanding more of her work, um, meeting the team from South Asia and one of their contributions to the panel about what are the building blocks beyond kind of the constitution, beyond law to really protect and promote religious freedom was just a great and incredible session to, to witness and to see uh, a lawyer speak with such eloquence and such accessibility in kind of international human rights, it was just amazing to, to be a part of that and to witness that, to connect with the general secretary from Kenya. So I think that was a huge highlight for me to, to understand what our uh, our friends and colleagues doing around the world to promote and advance religious freedom in their national context. Um, I think a highlight for me that's outside of the main conference was that yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, uh, being a warrior that I was, I attended uh, a fringe event that was led by, led by the Religious Freedom Institute, uh, and it had a panel that again had the Bishop of Truro, that had um, the kind of special envoy for the Joe Biden administration. There, it had kind of that conversation of what's the role between the relationship between the United States and the UK to advance religious freedom and to me there's something of a lag behind UK foreign policy and kind of sanctioning and kind of willingness to call out things like genocide in comparison to our US counterparts and I think for me that's the next step that I would love the UK government to, to call, call out other nations um, and not just call them out but to kind of put economic kind of trade sanctions or, or make for a key criteria of their economic or uh, kind of relational partnerships in order to keep progressing and advancing um, religious freedom overseas for persecuted Christians and other religious minorities.
0: Thanks, Alicia. And I'm sure you're all desperate to hear my highlight as well. So um, I'll just mention briefly, uh, on the Tuesday morning, um, I went to a session on persecution in South Asia. And um, like Alicia mentioned, there were uh, Yamini Ravindran, um, who is the Uh, secretary general for the evangelical alliance in Sri Lanka she shared some things and I just got to chat to her personally and that was such a highlight for me because um I am I often and I imagine many of our listeners too can have a bit of a narrow view of what persecution means for Christians um partly Looking, looking at what it can mean in the, in the Bible about being hated for what we say about Jesus and so kind of often when I think about persecution I think about people preaching um, actively the gospel in different countries and facing persecution because of that. Now that is very much the case in lots of places but it is so much broader and more complex than that and I just found it a really um, Eye-opening and clarifying time, hearing about some of the p- persecution that people face, and just hearing about some of the uh, calling it a highlight feels a bit um, a bit wrong. But but hearing about the um, the forced conversions, forced marriages, and the abuse that comes along with that in so many of these countries in South Asia, um, heard some things from uh, through CSW in Latin America as well. Um, was just I think it was really good for me to hear that actually and to hear that that religious persecution um, is so much broader than just a response to people preaching the gospel. Um, And actually Jesus calls us to defend the vulnerable. um, And that's exactly what we need to be asking the government to be doing in this space. Now you've already heard from me for a little while, but I will take this moment to tell you that next week will be the final episode of this series of cross-section, but do not fear. A third series will be along the way. Just like government, we might take a little recess over summer um, and take the month of August off, but we will be back in September to tell you more, to continue these conversations about news culture and the world around us. Um, We have been so encouraged by the positive feedback that we've had so far. We've had people listening in the United States, in India, in Chile, New Zealand and across Europe. Um, we really love hearing from you, so please do email us cross section at eauk.org. Make sure to just to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us. Um, like, give feedback, five-star reviews, whatever you like. You can follow us, Evangelical Alliance on Instagram at EAUK News on Twitter. Um, and so lastly, before we wrap up this penultimate episode, as I've said, we heard about um, Boris Johnson stepping down or committing to resign. I don't, what, what, how do not someone can correct me whether he's resigned, he, but he's still technically prime minister. So how does that work? But anyway, Boris is out, he's leaving. Um, and it's all a bit of a mess. And so... Danny, what are
2: your thoughts? What's going to happen next? So Bart has said that he will resign and step down as the leader of the Conservative Party. But he is saying at the moment that he will stay as prime minister until a new leader is in post. He has appointed new people into his cabinet, some kind of uh, last minute temporary uh, additions who will serve until that leader appoints their own cabinet. That may be unsustainable. We're recording on Thursday afternoon. This might have all changed by Friday or whenever you are listening to this. There is a lot of pressure for him to go immediately. There is a lot of criticism of the fact that he might think he can hang on through the summer. We'll see whether that happens. There will be a leadership contest for the leadership of the Conservative Party. That leader will then be asked by the Prime Minister to form the next government. The way it works in the Conservative Party is the parliamentary party decide who the top two candidates are and then the Conservative Party membership vote on those. So that will take place over the summer. So there's going to be a lot of jostling over the next week about 23 potential candidates, 23 potential people running for leadership of the Conservative Party. That will not be how many actually make it to the ballot.
1: So come on, Danny. We'll see
2: what happens. Who's going to win? I have no idea. I think Sajid Javid was quick out the blocks with his resignation stroke uh, leadership pitch yesterday. You had Swala Bravman, the attorney general, not resigning, but saying she would run for the leadership while Boris was still in office. A few people have already thrown their hats in the rings. I have no idea right now who it's going to be.
1: Alessia? What's your prediction? What Who's going to win or what's happening next?
3: I think this moment is as equally significant for the Conservative Party as it is for the Labour Party. I think whoever is leader, I think the nation are looking for strong leadership. They're looking for a party of policy that is able to confront some of the difficult situations, both economically and relationally, that we have within our communities. And so... Yes, the Conservative Party need to find a party leader, but the Labour Party need to to start putting forward their kind of political and policy agenda for reform. So the next few months is all about leadership and it's all about vision setting is what I say is the next focus point. Who lands that? Who wins? It's the one that the British people decide.
1: (laughs) What a week. I think, just as we reflect, I'd say an incredible week. I think the Religious Freedom Front and Centre is great. It's got taken seriously. We do need to remember that Christians are the most persecuted group. That's one of the things the Bishop of Trudeau found. And that got some prominence. We'd love to see more talk about that so that we can see more solution. But that's good. I think the Christian DNA was emphasised as we were at the prayer breakfast, as Tim Farron talked about that piece in the lobby that Danny mentioned, that's just written into the stone. In the corridors, we have chaplains, we have prayers. We are reminded of the importance of that, people referencing that in their speeches. And ultimately, became about humility and about integrity, two things that Les Isaac and Tim Farron pulled out, and people actually reference back to that. And I'm really interested. The conversation now shifts to truth and integrity. We had this moment of, like, could you just say anything and survive in government? And it seemed like the Prime Minister had. But actually, finally, everybody said, no, enough is enough. And it feels like the conversation will now be on truth, integrity, and trust going forward. And that's actually a really great place to go. Yes, it got pushed to its limits, but actually now we're recentering and saying, you can't have democracy, you can't have community, you can't have relationships if you can't trust what the other person is saying. So we're going to recenter on that. And that's a really good place, I think, for our political conversation to be. doesn't mean everything's fixed, of course. I'm not saying that, but it's a good shift. It's the right shift. Great, let's do the conversation on that. And by the time we're back for the third series, we'll know who the new prime minister is. And with that, Joe wrap us up
0: <laughs> that that is an exciting thought yeah it's, it would be as we said it's frustrating in some sense. these two things have come together the forb and all the resignations and things have come together this week but we know god is in control and um it's interesting the way that that's already cropped up in conversation in reference to the forb conference thank you so much for listening usually i'd be thanking chris now but he's on a well-earned holiday so thank you tim for for dealing with our podcast antics we will see you again next week for the very last episode of this series of cross section